Thank you, worship team. In fact, all of you, if you have your Bibles today, you can open to a couple places. Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 7. Matthew chapter 8 uh, and Luke chapter 7. My title is He Marveled. And we're going to look today. We don't use that word marveled. In fact, if I use the word marvel, you're going to think of some movies, right? The word marvel. But it's, we're going to look at what made Jesus stop and say, wow. You know, if we took Jesus to our favorite beach and we were blown away by it, well, we know that he was part of the creation, creating that, right? I'm sure he, he's come from heaven. I'm sure that that's not necessarily like Jesus going, look at that beach. Wow. You took them maybe to the sequoia. If you've ever been to the sequoias and seen those huge trees, and we say, wow, I don't know if that would make him wow, he created. You know what made him say wow? Was when he saw somebody have faith in his words. That made him stop and marvel, right? Wow, astonished, amazed that somebody would understand that. But we're going to look today in the scripture, in fact, let me get to Matthew chapter 8. I want to read Matthew 8 to get started here because we're also going to be introduced to uh, a gentleman by no name. We only know him by title. He's the centurion. Last week, we looked at another man that came to Jesus, came running and knelt, the rich young ruler. In fact, I was thinking about it even this week, and I think I ended with something. When we come to Jesus or we run to Jesus and kneel to Jesus, just remember never to walk away. I told somebody that Tuesday and went, don't, just don't walk away. Stay with him. Follow him. Well, here we have another man. We're going to see it in two different passages. Um, that is a centurion, a Roman soldier. But let's read this and then we'll come back here in just a minute. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 1, uh, when he had come down from the mountain, I'm sorry, verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard it, say it with me, he marveled. And the Lord said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Let me read that again. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, remember, we're reading this story back in a day. You know, we, we get blessed today making announcements. We can do it by te television, radio, social media, uh, every, every type of thing. We can make announcements about things coming. We're in a day where it was word only. You would hear about it only by being in the village or the marketplace. So somehow, some way, this centurion finds out that Jesus is coming through. And that begins, obviously, to stir something in his heart to begin to go out, or like we'll read in Luke chapter, chapter 7, to, for others to go out to try to compel Jesus to come. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. In fact, I think we need to remind ourselves today, Jesus is here, right? Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of you. Jesus is here. You know, when we read the Gospels, it is interesting, we read a lot about these Roman soldiers. In fact, they're all through the Gospels. They're actually in the book of Acts. We actually read a few accounts where they were impacted by what was happening around them. So I sat down and I was going through, I was trying to, to get a picture of this centurion and uh, looking at him coming and being an occupational force from Rome. And this centurion, just like his name sound, he would have overseen a hundred men. It could have been 60 to 80 men, but then supply staff and others, but they would oversee about a hundred people. Some Bible scholars believe that in Jesus's time, there were six different centurions or 600, maybe to 800 Roman soldiers in and around that area, which that's a lot. You know, when we see the news that we've dispatched a thousand troops to a certain area, a thousand might not seem a lot. That's a lot of, lot of people. They would even add soldiers during the Passover, during census time. But the Roman soldiers at many of the locations were all over the place. Some were ruthless. You know, when we look at the crucifixion, of Jesus, the beating of Jesus, that was done by the Roman soldiers. But we also read, if you pay attention to the gospel, that some were impacted by the gospel. You know, John the Baptist was able to speak with one of them. In fact, we read in Luke chapter 3, verse 14, and it says this, it says, this is the John the Baptist. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, what shall we do? And so he said to them, do not intimidate anyone. You know, if you saw a Roman soldier back in that day with a big sword and everything they had, that'd be intimidating, right? Don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. You know, when we read about these Roman soldiers, basically they were there to keep the peace and to help collect taxes. So notice what he ends with, be content uh, with your wages. Now, Jesus has just come from teaching. If you read Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and as we start Matthew chapter 7, it was the Beatitudes. The verse we read, uh, even in our offering time, was one of the Beatitudes. So he's just come from teaching. If you notice in the first part, 
he heals a leper. And then the next thing we read about is the centurion. In fact, it's almost like he's doing, uh, he was asked to come do like a hospital call. I thought about, I thought, I should sit down one time and write down the, all the different hospital calls, because I have some really good stories. I mean, there's some great stories. It's tougher today sometimes to get in hospitals to pray for people. But let me tell you, the hardest part of a pastor is when somebody comes to you and says, you know, I'm glad I'm back. You know, I had surgery two weeks ago, and, you know, it was a, I, I was really on the edge, didn't know if I was going to make it, but I'm glad I'm back in church. And I'm thinking, I didn't even know. Oh, I'm a terrible pastor. I didn't, yeah, you know, I had brain transplant, and I'm, I'm doing okay, but I made a church today like you don't know. Like sometimes you just don't know. Certain people are private. Uh, certain people want you to come and pray. Well, this instance we're going to see, he just wants a word spoken. When we had moved to North Carolina the very first time, 1998, I was serving on staff uh, at our, our district, being the district uh, youth pastor, and also serving at a local church. Had the oddest call. So we used to have to take a day and do hospital calls. Well, the, the pastor that day that was on hospital calls was named uh, Dale Jenkins. And Dale uh, got this call that a guy's cow had been hit by a car. Now, we're not out in the country somewhere, but evidently his cow got hit by the car, and he was told if he didn't get out within an hour, he was going to get a fine. So he called me to help get the cow out of the road. Thinking, you know, it's not a ministry call. So we pull up. I remember being, we were doing some painting or doing something, reorganizing. So I remember being in jeans and probably a t-shirt. Well, Dale shows up. He's in a suit because he's in on a hospital call. And I'm thinking, great. You know who's going to be dragging this cow out of wherever it is? It's going to be me because how I'm dressed. Well, we see no cow. I'm expecting to see a bloodbath, right? This cow has been hit. I'm expecting to see parts everywhere. And there was nothing. Well, we walk up around the house into the carport, and there's the cow. Well, it's not this huge cow. It was a smaller one, and you could tell that its back legs were probably completely broken. They were twisted, turned around. And uh, I remember asking the guy, well, what do you need? You know, do you need our help? You already got him up here. Yeah, we need to get him in my car. And they're looking at me like, yeah, you need to get it in my car. This guy's got to weigh 400 pounds. Dale's in his suit. So I asked this guy, I think his name was Rich. Rich, if you can grab one leg, I'll grab, no, he says, I got a back problem. I can't lift anything. <laughs> oh, golly. So we're drag. I'm dragging this 400-pound cow towards a Jeep Cherokee that he's parked on the back of this little, and I'm pulling the cow across the gravel, and I'm thinking, you know, the legs of this cow have to hurt. And I'm dragging, and I'm thinking, the cow's not even in any pain. And I stopped, I said, the cow's not... I guess they don't cry and jump. Oh, no, no, I pumped him full of morphine after he got hit. What are you doing with morphine? <laughs> I can't legally have morphine. We just have, well, I, I give myself morphine for my back. Well, the cow's in la-la land, right? Probably thinking it's getting a massage across the gravel. So I'm pulling this thing, pulling this thing. I come into the Jeep, and I go out the side door, and I pull him in. And I thought, um, I don't think his name was Rit. Rit, what, what are you going to do? Like, what vet? Vet? Yeah, aren't you taking him to the... No, I'm going to the butcher. I'm going straight to the butcher. There's nothing I can do. The vet can't fix the cow. And I thought, that's the weirdest call ever for a 
church to load a cow into a jeep to go to the butcher. And a couple weeks later on my desk was a frozen pack of meat with a thank you letter. You remember that? That was nice of him. What was that cow's name again? I can't remember his name. So Michelle, this is a true story too. Michelle makes chili for dinner one night with this meat. And we're eating it. And my lips started to tingle, like started to get a little numb. And I thought, oh, no, 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 don't eat anymore. It's got full of more. This guy, cow was shot up with morphine. We'll just order a pizza or something. Why didn't Jesus get any of those calls, right? But we read here, in fact, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, I want us to first get a picture of what the people thought when they heard Jesus preach. And it says this, uh, And so it was when Jesus had ended these things, the Beatitudes, that the people were astonished at his teaching, and he taught them as one having what? Authority. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Not as the one that would help uh, translate or, or write on the scripture or teach the scripture. He taught as one having authority. It wasn't information that he's giving people. It's not just a history lesson. It was transformation. Even that verse we read earlier. Look at the birds of the air. They don't go to work, right? But my father takes care of them. Look at the beautiful flowers. Aren't they beautiful? Don't worry about all of that was a That was a transformational message that he gave. Well, we read here that as Jesus shows up, and somehow it's known, the centurion's heart is about his servant. And the situation is the servants paralyzed. But I do want to read a verse in Luke chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. And before I read that, in Mark chapter 8, Luke chapter 7, if you read both of them, it looks like as if you're reading two different stories, two different accounts. Probably the best way, as I went through it, it could have been the same centurion, different person. But the best way that as I was looking at it was, it's the same story. The Holy Spirit has Matthew write this down and Luke write this down. But Luke's background was that of a doctor. I always believe when I read Luke, Luke adds a little bit more detail in. The Holy Spirit allows that to be written in because the story has just a little bit different when we read Luke chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. It says, So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our country. And he built us a synagogue. Many of the time, the centurion, their post was supposed to last between 15 and 20 years. So it is very conceivable that as he was amongst the people, that he was a part of some building project of building a synagogue and knew the very people that he was an officer of. 
You know, when we read these things, in fact, even that little different twist, isn't it true sometimes that we think this, that we have to come to Jesus with something to say, uh, here's what I can do for you, or here's who I am. That's not what Jesus looks for. You know, the King James, I think, says it the best in Romans 2.11, for God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter your title. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't matter anything about that. He doesn't respect one over the other. But what he respects and looks for is do they have faith in what I said? You know, I was reading this article this week, and I thought this was very interesting because the centurion is the one that when we look at the story, he's Roman, he's not Jewish. He's not been brought up in the Hebrew school. He probably doesn't attend synagogue at all. If you were to look uh, at what the Romans worshipped, the Romans worshipped their gods and goddesses. The Romans worshipped their heroes in battle. In fact, they believed that when you died, you went down and were going to head to Hades, but yet you would float on a boat if you had money to pay the ferryman on the river Styx. Man, we start reading some of this stuff. That's what they believed. Well, we don't know what the centurion believed. The Bible doesn't give us insight. But what he believed was that Jesus could solve what looked like an impossible problem to the centurion. You know, the Word of God that we have in our Bibles, I thought this was interesting, uh, has been translated in hundreds of translations in English alone. And there are more pastors, preachers, and evangelists that preach uh, at any given week in English than the entire world combined. In fact, I believe the statistic is 95% of the preaching is done by English speaking, but English is only 4% of the nation's languages. It's a very small part, but there's more preaching that is done in English. In fact, in the U.S. alone, it's not only print, but it's radio, TV, internet, everything. In fact, here was what the article said. You really have to decide in English speaking languages just to avoid it because it's always out there. You, know, you can go on YouTube and you can see teaching. You can go on the television and see teaching. You listen to the different radios and there's preaching that's going on. There's print, there's everything. You really have to avoid it because it's always there. And yet here was the statistics. Many, many Americans have no living faith. The reason I wanted to bring that up was for what we're reading here. Because remember, when Jesus was born and then the wise men came, when the wise men came, Herod gathered the scribes of that day to have them search in the Scripture, is this about to happen? The people of the day weren't even aware of the times that were happening. And as we read about this centurion, this centurion must understand something He's heard something about Jesus that he's going to completely step out of his comfort zone and he's going to want to stop Jesus for a minute so that he can be a part of something. You know, it's interesting that the religious part wants to try to impress Jesus. You know, all of us, 
If we have a boss or a leader, we want to impress them with the work that we do. If we have a teacher, we do. We want to impress them by the work that we do in school. If we have a coach, we want to impress them by a skill. And many times uh, that carries all the way over sometimes to how we think we are to operate with God to impress him. I'm here today to tell all of us there's nothing that we have or do that can impress God except simply believing in him. Believing in him. In fact, culture tries to tell us that the power or strength of today in a person is found because of what you do, what you have. Yet this centurion is going to come to Jesus out of no respecter of persons. He's going to believe what Jesus said. In fact, I tried to bullet a couple things down. Let me bullet a couple of these things down. The centurion's motive. What was his motive? Compassion for somebody else. Paralyzed, sick. Somebody that can't move. Compassion. The centurion evidently knew this. You can go to this Jesus and find help. I can go to him and find the help I need. He came with humility. Came with humility. Didn't throw a title around. I'll give a break at the synagogue in the next bill, Jesus, if you heal this prayer. No, he came with humility. He somehow understood the power of the spoken word. In fact, he used that example in Matthew chapter 8. In fact, let me read that again in verse 9. He says, For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. He understood that when authority gives a command, they just do it. You know, nowadays in the sports that we see, I remember going through sports in high school, my coach taught us, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And if you didn't say yes, sir, you're doing push-ups. And you keep doing push-ups. We did drills as a team. You know, he almost thought we were like in the military. In the military today, you're giving orders and you carry out the orders. That's the thinking of the centurion when he understands the power of Jesus' authority because I understand if I speak an order, they do it. If you speak an order, Jesus, it's going to happen. Think of that for just a minute. He identified with the authority that Jesus had. Would you allow that to be part of, of our lives? Identify with the authority that Jesus has when we read his word. He knew Jesus had greater authority over sickness. Right? He knew that. He had greater authority. And to Jesus, he would say, I have absolute faith in the orders that you say. You don't even need to come to my house. You don't even need to come by. You know, now, notice that Jesus, if you read later on in Matthew 8, he goes into Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house and lays hands on her. But in this very situation, we read that he was speaking out God's word. He believed in the spoken word of God to be sent forth. In fact, uh, as we read earlier, that Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and healed 
their diseases. You know, Hebrews 13.8, we've been mentioning this. It's on our back wall. Jesus Christ is the same when? Yesterday and today and forever. His ministry didn't stop just because he sat down at the right hand of God. In fact, he lets us know at the end of Mark and the end of Matthew that all authority has been given to him. And yet we read about this commander that's been dispatched to keep the peace, collect taxes. And yet when there's a serious situation going on, he doesn't even need Jesus to come in his house. You know, if Jesus was around, wouldn't you want him to come to your house? Gee, I'll, I'll, my wife makes a great pasta. You'd love it. Well, let's have you, uh, you, you try to come up with something. He understands, just speak the word. You know, as you read on in that scripture here, in fact, it says, Jesus says in verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that same hour. But when Jesus heard this centurion, he was amazed. We should grab a hold of that to say, uh, Jesus is amazed when I believed him. Because no one meets Jesus unchanged. Either the heart changes or the heart gets hardened. As the words preached in English all the way around, we find that more and more people have no living faith. But Jesus is in, in the operation or business of changing hearts, of changing lives. And I, I wrote this down. If I were alive at the time of Jesus, as he was walking the earth, would he marvel at my faith? Would he be amazed? You know, the Bible, Jesus only was amazed at two things. The belief and the unbelief. But the, uh, the belief was from somebody that had no background of knowing him, but believed that he had the authority to speak. The power of the spoken word. Let me close with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it. That's the message. Study how he did it. Go back in Matthew 8 and Luke 7. Look at the words of the centurion. Read about the others, what the others were trying to convince and come back to that bit of simply believing. And Jesus gives us that little insight. He calls it childlike faith. Childlike faith. We learned this from some pastor friends, good friends of ours. When uh, their kids would ask for something, and you know, as parents, your kids ask all, especially when they're young, right, all the time. And, uh, you, but you only promise them if you're going to do it. How many of you say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that on Saturday. Saturday comes, you don't do it. Then they get disappointed. You only promise. If you promise, you got to do it, right? So we would always say, in fact, it even happens today when uh, it's usually my son will ask for something. I'm quiet. Dad, what are you thinking? Hmm, not thinking anything. Well, what, do you, what do you think about it? Like, can we? What do, you, what, what do you think? Say something. I'm not going to promise. Oh. Shoulders gonna right because they know what we said. If we promise, 
We promise. And they'll fight you. I remember when he was little, and, Dad, can we just go look at Toys R Us? We'll just go look at Toys R Us. We'll just go look. Just look. Okay, let's go look. Michelle would say, no, don't take him to look. You know what's going to happen? Oh, he'll be fine. He's just going to look. First toy aisle, right? Oh, Dad, please. I won't ever ask for anything ever again in my life. You, just, you know, that's how they act, right? I'll never ask for anything. You don't have to get me anything for my birthday or Christmas or Easter. Or, you never have. No, we're not. Oh, you know how it is. And you feel like, all right, get him out of here. You've got the crying kid going out, right? But you didn't promise. Because you understood a promise, you do it. Jesus doesn't do things to tease or just to try to hook us in or make make himself feel better. No, he does things to show the authority that was given to him by his father. And this authority was to heal a servant who was paralyzed. I love what Jesus said, I will come. In any request we have, that's what I, I, I love to hear, I will come. It's not, you know, I can fit you in Friday afternoon sometime. I'll come and heal him. Bow your heads if you would with me today. Let me uh, ask us that question. What do you need from Jesus today? What do you need? Many times it's not that first thing on the top of your head, but what, what is missing, broken, needs to be restored? I think let's all come back to this part. Father, we, we pray today that, Lord, where there in our life, unbelief likes to find itself somewhere in our heart to where we know it's true, but yet many times we wonder how it's going to happen. Lord, I pray over our minds that our, our minds are renewed daily to your word. Daily to your word. We're not to wonder, waver, help you figure it out. We're to trust what you say. We're to believe you. That's what you were looking for. Somebody that would believe and you marveled. You were amazed. You said, wow, they believe. Lord, in a day and time when we can look around and we see that people just don't believe. Well, we believe. We're believers in Jesus. So, Father, I pray that the Word of God would so change our thinking and change our hearts. Because anybody that comes across Jesus gets changed. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. I would ask you to pray a prayer right along with me. In fact, we're all going to do it together. But as Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, when we confess Jesus with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we understand that we become Christians, believers, we're saved. Let's all pray this together. Ready? Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that He lived. And he died for me. I accept him as my Lord. My Savior. Thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. I'm part of your family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with me if you would.
And if you pray 